do take your Bibles and uh, open up to Acts chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at a case study here in just a moment. Is this, uh, is this water for me? Thank you very much. Appreciate that. But turn to Acts chapter 6. In fact, let me just kind of get us there. We're going to look at a case study and execution. Uh, we'll talk about execution in a minute. That can be taken a lot of different ways. How, 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 what time am I supposed to quit this one? Whenever, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what we'll do. Great, that's awesome. But let's begin in Acts chapter 6, and I think this is probably an account that's going to be familiar to, to most of you, if not all of you, especially to the adults that are here. And we know that the church is still relatively new in its existence, its establishment, as we see in Acts chapter 2. It is basically what we might just identify as a Jewish church in many respects. Uh, The gospel has not gone out into the Gentiles yet. That won't be until chapter 10. We're aware of that with ultimately Cornelius and his household. And yet we know that there is a mixed type of Jews within the fellowship of the church in Jerusalem. And there were those that were purely Jewish in their heritage and in their background culturally as well. And yet there had been some Jews that uh, were Jews in the fact that the blood of the people of Israel ran through their veins, but because of where they had been. And don't forget, there had been devout Jews from every nation under heaven that had come to Jerusalem on Pentecost in Acts 2. And after the establishment of the church, they stayed. Many of those stayed when they became Christians. And we know that many of these had a very much what was called a Hellenistic background. Hellenistic Jews have been raised and reared in a Grecian culture, spoke the language, and there were many factors that came to that, and evidently some of these had become members of the body of Christ. So with that background, we read in Acts chapter 6 and beginning at verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose by the Hellenist, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, the the apostles continued, We'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem And a great many of the priests, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. A question that I want to begin with as we think about this situation that had arisen, and here are these widows of this Hellenistic background, though they're Jewish, and they had been somehow neglected in just daily distribution and taking care of some needs that they had. We had read in Acts chapter 2, we had read in Acts chapter 4, that when there was a need, those needs were taken care of, housing and food and other situations. 
We have benevolent Barnabas in chapter 4 that sold a piece of property and laid it at the feet of the apostles, and needs were taken care of, weren't they? And yet here are some that are being neglected, and there may be a lot of reasons for that. I don't know if there was some kind of attitude against these Jews with this Hellenistic background. I have no idea if it was some kind of multicultural problem in the minds of some. But notwithstanding, it is brought to the attention of the apostles. And then here the apostles immediately say that we're very busy preaching and teaching the word of God. But I have a question for you. Were the apostles above serving tables? Was that somehow... Were they above that and that was too lowly of a job that they shouldn't do it? I think we know better. In our last lesson, we went to John 13. And what did Jesus teach the apostles to do there? Wash dirty feet. You know what? Given the choice, I'll serve tables over washing dirty feet anytime. That's just my personal choice. Let me suggest to you that what we have here, in fact is that the text illustrates what can happen when every member of the church, every member of the body is doing what he or she can do in that circumstance. And that's what makes this an interesting case study. We find in verse number one that there is a legitimate need in the church. These widows were being neglected. Is that a legitimate need that needs to be taken care of? Without question. The apostle didn't look at it and say, why are you troubling us at all with this? What a silly matter. They didn't do that. So what we find then in verse number 2, they're saying, and they are so busy, you can just imagine the apostles and the inception of the church and all that's going with the gospel and the multitudes in it is just growing and growing and more people are coming to the Lord and these brethren need to be taught and edified and, and all of those kinds of things and they have given themselves and they must not neglect their teaching. They are just overwhelmed with that great responsibility of teaching. So in this case study, what do they say? The apostles say to the brethren there, choose seven men. And did they say, well, just choose anybody? No, they said, choose seven men of good, of good repute, reputable men. These are men that you can count on. These are men that are going to get the job done. Because it's a legitimate need. And so that saying pleased everyone. And the apostles, though, said that we may, in verse 4, continue to involve ourselves in prayer. And I can only imagine how much time they spent in prayer, not only with one another as apostles or individually, but with the brethren and teaching and teaching the word of God. And here's what we have the result. The result of that is, is that these seven men take care of this need. The apostles continue to do what they can do. And the result in verse 7 says, The word of God spread. Then the word of God spread, and their number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many. And this is remarkable of the priests were obedient to the faith. Which that's quite a feat when there were times that Jewish priests became disciples of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I've just got to tell you that When we look at this, and I think it serves as an excellent case study, even of commitment and doing what we need to do, that true commitment requires, that true uh, commitment requires an execution of executing the very plan of God and that which has been outlined for us within his word. You see, it requires the spiritual execution, which at times is going to also involve a physicality of actually doing things. 
It's not something that's just mental. And we look at this in these Jerusalem disciples, and they executed various duties in the congregation. And that's what we mean by execution. If you would just take the word execution in this way, in this context, in its definition, even Webster says to make or produce, especially by carrying out a design to perform what is required to give validity to. We see that. We use that word from time to time, not to be confused with execution as the act of killing for those that were concerned when they saw these titles and said, what's this all about? I know Mark got excited, but anyway, what's, what's this all about? No, it's, it's carrying out something. That's what we want to see. And so when we consider this, that made me think about a lot of different statements, but then we get to thinking of what the Apostle Paul said, for example, in Colossians 3 and verse 17, you know, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name, that is by the authority, but whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And he would go on to say later on in verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And so there's much for us to do without question. That's execution. We're going to do that with the right attitude. We're going to do it in the name of the Lord by his authority. And we're going to do it heartily. We're going to take this seriously with that right attitude. We're going to look at God's plan, his design. He's he's left all of the guesswork out. That's the beautiful thing about becoming a Christian, living as a Christian, worshiping as a Christian, edifying one another as Christians, you know what? The guesswork is removed. We don't look at this and say, well, we just have a few suggestions in the Scripture that we might want to kind of follow as a basic outline, but then just do what we want to do. That's not how it works. We execute the very plan that God has given us. And I tell you, I've come to this conclusion. Listen to me carefully, please. When every member... When every member of the congregation is doing or executing what he or she can do for the work of Christ, the the work that Christ has given us, such a coordinated effort will cause growth in the church if we will all do what it is that we can do with the talent we have, the opportunity that we have, that ability and, and opportunity, then we can achieve much to the glory of God and to the betterment of the body of Christ. I'll tell you what, right here, right here in your community, right in your congregation, and that's how, again, I've been saying since Friday, we've got to take it personally. And not to make that assumption as we dealt with yesterday that somebody else is going to do it, the work that anybody could do. And nobody did it. Remember that? And so as we look at this, We've got to look at this and take this, what is it that I can do? And if we will all have that attitude and step up, the work that we can accomplish and the growth we can experience, really it shouldn't surprise us, but it might. And that's what it all comes down to as well, my friends, is where you've got to put your faith and trust in God. You see, it's not a matter of us forcing things to happen. It's a matter of us just trusting God and doing it His way. And when we trust in God and do it in His way, I think marvelous things can happen. We're always going to find this need where we've got to execute the constant needs in the church. I'm going to go over these rather quickly. But there, there are subjects I want you to think about and I want you to further explore. Further explore them in your personal study. Further explore them and maybe, you know, you, you all kind of share in preaching here, right? The men of the congregation, some of you fellows, and 
and great. And you know what? And look at some of these subjects and, and explore them further. There's just no way you can cover everything in a short meeting like this in a weekend and coming into this, even three lessons on, on today's Lord's Day and, and whatever. But, but I tell you, there's always going to be constant needs in the church, and we need to execute the constant needs that are before us. You know, we sing from time to time. There's much to do. There's work on every hand, right? And I tell you, that's true. That's true at home in our congregation. Every week there's so much work to be done. There is much to do. There's work on every hand. Just look around. And remember as we identified this the other evening that we talked about in Titus 2 that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us these various things. But what, what has God done? God has chosen us. He's made us His own special people. We looked at that closely in Titus 2 and verse 14, that He made us His own special people. What? Zealous. We're to be zealous for good works. Zelotes. I mean, it's, it's burning with zeal is the idea. This isn't, again, some ho-hum issue. This isn't something of which we are to just kind of be satisfied or become complacent with. We've got to be burning with zeal. And I'll tell you, Paul used it. He used it of himself to illustrate his own zeal. As, in fact, he once spoke about his past life. And he used that same word when he talked about when he advanced in Judaism. He says there was nobody, no, there was no peer of his that was more zealous than he was in advancing in Judaism. And I'll tell you, he went a long way in Judaism, didn't he? Now later on, what did he call all of that? Rubbish. But don't take away that that was his personality type, and that's what he developed. And you know, it's something that we can develop, that we can develop this whole attitude, this mentality of zeal, in which we can have great achievements for the work of the Lord. That becomes a responsibility. You know, I love what Paul said in Galatians 1.14. He says, in Galatians 1 verse 14, he says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now again, this isn't to be done in the spirit of competition, but I hope that our attitude will be one of great zeal. There are some never-ending needs in the Lord's body. And I'm going to tell you, as we talk about qualified leadership, there is such a shortage of qualified leadership in the body of Christ across the land, across the country, across the world. There really is. There is a shortage of elders. There is a shortage of preachers. There is a shortage of those stepping out up in many places in cases of teachers. Let's get back and we think of leadership and of the elders. And I love that statement that Paul makes when he writes to Titus, who, who's preaching on the island of Crete, Titus is, and he's, and he's preaching with a couple or more. We know a plurality of congregations. And, and what does Paul tell Titus to do to Titus 1.5? He says, to set in order the things that are lacking. To set in order the things that are lacking. And to do what? To ordain, some translations say but to put in place, if you will, elders in every city, in which the very cities on the island of Crete, fairly good-sized island, there were congregations. And then he began to talk about the qualifications of those elders, that that elder, that presbyteros, that man is to be blameless, and the husband of one wife, and he goes on with the qualifications. Brethren, all I can say is that this is a never-ending need in the Lord's body. 
And this is how God has designed His church. And in this preparation, and if we're going to execute this, I want to tell you, this takes some real fervency and zeal indeed, but it takes preparation that has to be viewed now. Now I'm looking out, and, and I've been preaching a congregation, and we've got a good number of, of different folks of different ages, and we've got some young couples, and we've got a bunch of little kids running around, and, and, and we've got from the very young to the very old, and and I have the real blessing for the last several years to be serving as one of the elders at Los Osos with two other men, men that I appreciate so much and love and respect and, and just feel honored. And I've been serving with a few other fellows that have served, that uh, one who's passed away and one who's moved on, had to move on because of health issues to another place. And, and, and what a blessing it is. But you see God's wisdom in this. But here's the thing I want to say to you, that as you look at this, in order to facilitate this, in order to execute this, th- this has got to take your time and attention now. I think one of the roles that, that I try to take on as evangelists, and as I see in the paradigm that we have of Titus chapter 1, and, and even into Timothy, it's the same thing. Timothy is, is preaching in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 3, the very parallel, that if a man, that if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work, not a qualification, it's a need. That desire, oh, that's a, that's a qualification. No, it's not. The first qualification is a man is to be found blameless in both cases. You have a situation, and Paul is simply saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Why? Because it is so greatly needed. But then there are these qualifications that are to be met. But there is such a shortage, and all I'm saying is, I'm just going to tell you right now, that you need to be thinking about it. You need to be thinking about it right now at this age. Looking at your marriage, looking at your children, looking at your Bible knowledge, looking at your reputation in the community, looking at the way that you work with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, it's not a matter of saying, oh, I'm 50 years old or whatever, to throw some number out and say, you know, maybe I ought to think about maybe serving as an elder. I want to tell you, it takes the attention right now. And one of the things that I have tried to do is in advance of the years I make no apologies about this. I have grabbed on the guys and I and I try to groom them. And I t- I'll take them out to lunch and we'll do things. I say we need to talk about some stuff for the future. I do that all the time. Now some of the guys say, you know, Brent, I'm not sure. I say, I know, I know, I get it. But you got to look at yourself. You got to look at the church, and not everyone's going to serve in that capacity. But do we need to be preparing? people for these roles, men for these roles. I think that's something that's going to happen. You see, there's such a shortage of, there's such a shortage of leadership and the problem is that we get so consumed with this world and our job and our families and those are all important matters. But I'll tell you, if we want to look at the survivability survivability and the viability of the Lord's church, we've got to take care of business now. And be prepared. I'm just going to tell you that. And, and, and I'm going to challenge it to that. And some may say, well, I don't think I like your tone, Brent. And I don't mean to say it in any kind of a bad way. But I'm telling you, it's what we've got to do. Raise your children in the Lord. And make sure your marriage is in the Lord. Do what you can. You know... The constant news of executing and, and discipleship and this commitment is prepared worshipers. And Jesus said in John 4, 
to the Samaritan woman, the hour is coming now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit, attitude, 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 demeanor, motive, and truth. What is truth? God's word. I'm praying to the Father in John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We're to worship in spirit and truth. I want to tell you that one thing that we've got to execute week after week after week is preparedness for worship. And that's where we, where we get ourselves up in the morning and we get our minds ready for worship, ready for when we come to assemble with our brothers and sisters, ready to praise God, to worship God, to pray, to sing, to commune. It takes preparation. This is, again, not a ho-hum issue. This is something that we are to take very seriously. Don't just go to worship. Yes, we go to worship, but don't just go to worship. Go and worship and be prepared. What a need that there is. There's always going to be this constant need of teaching and edification. These children that need to be taught. And some of this transcends just, you know, our assembling together. But, you know, our children need to be taught. Young Christians need to be taught. We all need to be taught. We all need to be edified. Okay, just a couple of things I want to say here. Let's first deal with the children. Now, I know that you're trying to take very seriously and as you have these nice Bible classes and to try to teach the children, and that's wonderful. And, and there's, there's so much that maybe we can do with that as a congregation, but parents, I'm going to talk to you very directly right now. And those that are going to be parents and are parents and, and so forth, I, 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 just, I tell you, I want you to listen to me very carefully. You see, when it comes to the responsibility of teaching these children about the things of God, teaching them about the Lord and about the Bible, I want to tell you right now that you, parents, have the primary responsibility to do it. You have the primary responsibility. And do not expect the church to teach your children in a 45-minute Bible class what you failed to teach them all week long. Does that make sense? You will always have this constant need. And they need to be taught. And we need teaching in the congregation. We need edification. You talk about a shortage. I get calls all the time of how many congregations that are looking for a preacher, looking for a preacher. And they're just, it, it, it's, it is crazy. It, I mean, since I've been here, since I've been here this weekend, I've already been contacted. And they're looking and I'm getting calls, and I'm getting emails, and Brent, is there anybody in the program? And Brent, do you know about anybody? And how important is this? I love this, and Paul's kind of teaching epistles as he teaches Timothy, and he does so with Titus as well. But I love this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. He says, Timothy, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's perpetuity. What we see is this kind of this perpetual thing going on, that we need faithful people, faithful men who can teach others, and teach others who are faithful and can teach others, and there it goes on. That's what I mean by perpetuity in that. It's why he says, Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 15, only a matter of verses later in verse 15, the old King James says, What study to show thyself approved unto God? The word is fidat, so it means be diligent. Make every effort. He said, make every effort, why? That you will have God's approval, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, that a worker that will have God's approval, that will not be ashamed, and one who can do what? Rightly divide, handle with accuracy the word of truth. 
I wish I could talk to you and had time, but don't have time to talk to you about that whole concept of rightly dividing the word of truth in orthotomeo, but it's straight teaching. I'll just tell you that right now. Now, this is always going to be a need, and these needs don't just satisfy themselves or somehow miraculously, mysteriously take place. It is an execution on our part. How about the constant need of exhortation and prayer? We see it early on in the Lord's church. We saw it in the case study of Acts 6 that we may devote ourselves to prayer. Yes, to teaching, but to prayer. To encourage brethren, to exhort brethren, sometimes to admonish, warn brethren. And in prayer, and I love the sentiment that we find in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. And there the writer says, encouraging these Christians, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called a day. He says, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily. I tell you, that was the encouragement then. We need to exhort one another daily. And you know, today in our time and age, you know how much easier it is now? Because of the means of communication and transportation that we have, that we can call people, we can text people, we can email people, we can drive to their house in a flash. I mean, we have all of these things that we can do. I'm going to tell you, there are times that exhorting one another daily was a chore. But it needed to be done. And, and maybe we'll look at it as still being a chore, but it still needs to be done. And so we look at this, and we just and it, it's one day at a time. And this takes time. It does take time, but it's one day at a time. These are going to be constant needs. The constant need of daily administration, we go back even to our case study in Acts 6. Here was a need to distribute, to not neglect these widows, the distribution amongst those widows. We saw that in Acts 6. But then when we have a passage like James 1.27, and if you really want to see practical Christianity, pragmatically what Christianity is to look like, what pure religion really is, we see this in James 1.21. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit, that is to care for orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself inspired from the world. But you look at this and we see that no one should be neglected. And we may have widows and we may have orphans or other people that are in these needs. We don't assume that somebody else is going to do it again. And there's going to be these constant needs. They don't go away. Now, a lot of it needs to be communicated. And I say to some of our widows, and we've got, we've got a good handful of widows in our congregation. And our, oldest, uh, our oldest widow is uh, Esther Smith. She's 100, January, she turned 102. Still living in her own home. But she has no problem communicating. <laughs> Ask Brother Tim Barkus, one of my fellow elders. Brent, Esther called again. <laughs> she has no problem communicating. And she'll say, and she calls me occasionally, she says, Brent, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, you can be 102 in trouble. I don't know. But in any case, I'll tell you what. Is that we've got to look at these will be constant needs, but we've got to take care of it in the daily. None should be neglected. And then we've dealt with this point already. We dealt with this yesterday. That's the essence of, of, of commitment, and some of Christ-centered commitment is, should be evangelistic. Brethren, put on this evangelistic mindset. We looked at that Proverbs 11.30. We tore it apart. We looked at the two main phrases that are in it. But you've got this need of personal advantage, which is kind of an interesting concept. 
you know, we, you know, personal evangelism, we say that. Well, let's have some lessons, or let's have a seminar on personal evangelism, and I always kind of look at it, is there any other kind? It's one soul at a time. And we're to take it very personally. But as we saw, Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Okay. Brethren, here's the point. Could I have preached one entire long lesson on each one of those items? Well, trust me, I can. And I'm always tempted to. But I'm always playing the old famous game, beat the clock. But here's what I'm saying. Our being disciples of Christ demands that we take a long, hard look at these needs and ask ourselves, what am I doing to execute the most important work there is? The work of the kingdom of the Lord. So I say to you, as we, I, I, I've just got a couple of things that we've got to go over. That spiritual execution depends on every part doing its share. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to go a few more minutes here. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. In Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul writes his letter to the church at Ephesus... And he reminds them in reference to what the Lord has done in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And I would submit to you that pastors and teachers, not some pastors, some teachers, but it's a teaching pastor, I think the Greek seems to identify that. Elders, bishops need to be teachers. Twelve, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body of the edifying of itself in love. First of all, I'm going to ask a question. And uh, if you're a body part, this is every, every part doing its share. If you're a body part, the body of, if you're a body part, let me see your hand. If you're a body part, okay. I, I love the way people raise their hands, right? <laughs> But anyway, so, so we've got to take this, we look at this, and, and, and I just can't emphasize enough, this is what causes growth. Every part doing its share. I mean, that's what we have. You look at verse 16, from whom the whole body, joining it together, and he kind of uses this anatomical illustration of joints and all these things that go on, you know, in the anatomy of one's body. Joining it together, but every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The question is, is every part doing its share? We're going to really explore that some more. Is every part really doing its share? Every part doing its share. I found out one thing that in most congregations, a lot of congregations anyway, they are filled with willing members. 10% willing to work and 90% willing to let them 
Now you cogitate those numbers. And you know what? That's a pretty accurate estimation in a lot of places. And you think, what's going on here? I'm going to tell you right now, don't be a pew potato. You know, John, I was visiting with John yesterday at the potluck, and John, you were talking about, you have an easy chair at home, John, you know, one of those recliners or whatever, right? And you were kind of talking, is it green? Yeah, yeah I knew it. <laughs> but you know what John was talking about? We've all been there. You know, you get in that easy chair, those recliners, and that's where you put it in third gear. You put it back there, and you read that thing back there, and, and you got your feet up, and your feet are spread just far enough so you can see the flat screen. You know what we do? We vegetate. I remember several years ago, and they talked about, you know, don't be, don't, don't be a couch potato. Anybody remember that, a couch potato? Well, I'm saying don't be a pew potato. Don't just occupy a, a, a pew and vegetate. Oh, go ahead, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. But I want to tell you that it's a matter we got to get up and get going. And that's okay to sit in that green uh, recliner now and again, John. But I'll tell you what, we got to get up and we got to get going. And let's not become critical of one another. Let's work together and encourage one another. I, I remember the story of a, a guy comes up to, to this very active member in the church. Very active. And he's trying to do that he can do. And calling people and visiting people and taking care of matters. And sees things that, you know, but, 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 but he's forever trying to call and encourage people. But one time, a, a fellow comes up to him and he says to this active member, he says, you know what? He says, I really don't like the way you do personal work. And the fellow says, to tell you the truth. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me, how do you do it? And the guy kind of stuttered and stammered and said, I guess I really don't do it. And he said, well, I'll tell you this. I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. You know, we can become so critical of people. But when it comes to these executing the needs, we've got to take this seriously. And we go back to what we've seen in Colossians. And in verse 17... You know, whatever you do in the or word of deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We get that. We've got to do it according to the authority, the paradigm, the, the design that is given, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And goes on later, or whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Oh, we serve one another, too, from the standpoint of helping and assisting and encouraging and even warning but the bottom line is that we're trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, are we not? And there's all so much for us to do. Every part doing its share, and it has to be a concerted effort. It has to be an orchestration. All the parts doing their part in absolute harmony. And when we do this in this harmonious way, I'll tell you what, the work can be beautiful. I have one final application that I give by way of conclusion. Have any of you ever heard of a book written by Elmer Bendiner called the, uh, it's a book that they wrote many, many, many years ago, but it's called The Fall of Fortresses. Because what he was, he was a navigator on a B-17 in uh, World War II. Um, Elmer Bendiner. And um, anybody ever read that book or heard of that book at all? Kind of interesting read. Uh, so it's one of those things you think how much of this was all, you know, legit and on the true and done a little research and there's some things that he kind of left out that, that some have left out in it. But but here's the, the bottom line. He's this navigator in the four hundred and ninety-third bomb group 
squad, 8th Air Force during World War II. Tough, tough times. So many missions flying out of England, going over, over France and then advancing into Germany, of course. And he describes these harrowing missions uh, flown over Germany in this book. And, 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 and what they're doing is, is they're trying to, to bomb a lot of facilities in Germany of you know, manufacturing, ball-bearing plants, and, where they, and all those kinds of things that one does. But one time when they're flying over Castle, Germany, their B-17 took a hit over Castle, Germany, and a 20-millimeter shell pierced one of the gas tanks. And, but yet, for whatever reason, it didn't really explode, and they were able to get out of there after completing the mission, and when they get back to England, the main pilot, the captain of, of the plane, he won an investigation and it was given the armors, and when they looked in the gas tank, they had discovered that there was not one, but that there were 11 20-millimeter shells that had pierced the gas tanks but did not explode. And so they took those things apart and they found out that they were not only empty, they were thereby somewhat harmless, but in one of those they found up a tightly rolled note written in Czechoslovakian. As there was Jewish Czechs that were working in some of those factories at the time, and here's what the note said. This is all we can do for you now. That gives me chills every time I think about it. This is all we can do for you now. And there's another statement that Ben Diner didn't include necessarily. It's not always quoted. And it says, you know, something to do about it. So not a th- it's not good to trust, you know, uh, it's something like Jewish, you know, slave workers or whatever it was. Kind of interesting, too. But, I, I, brethren, as I look at that, I think that we've got to look at this and say, are we doing all that we can do now? No matter what the circumstance or the limitations may be, are we doing what we can do now? Christ-centered commitment depends on doing what we can do and executing work the Lord has outlined for us in His Word. And I just am trying to appeal to you as much as I possibly can with scripture, with passion, with, with sincerity of what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian, and to execute the plan of the Lord. There may be some here that have not even rendered obedience to the gospel, and we want to help you with that. God, of the love of God, the mercy of God, which is so much seen in the gift of His Son and the saving gospel, and love to sit down with you with an open Bible and go through that. But this is a time that an invitation can be extended. It's, it is. It's very much, it, it, it's an exhortation. And whatever your spiritual need may be, good brethren are here, I know, to help you with that. So we, I thank you so much for your good participation, your good attention. But if there's any that have any needs at this time, this is a great time. Let it be known. As we stand, as we sing the song that has been selected.